Welcome, everyone, to another Baseball America podcast, along with Jim Schoner and Mike Lanana. I'm John Manuel. They're in the BA podcast nook. I'm convalescing at home. And uh, we want to remind you that Baseball America is a big time of year for us. Go to BaseballAmerica.com, the online store, or you can call 800-845-2726. Lots of products to order from Baseball America. It's a great time to subscribe to the print edition of the magazine. You can get our college preview, which is going to have the most bounce cover ever. Or you can get the Prospect Handbook, which ships at the end of the month, or the Baseball America Fantasy Guide. Uh, any way you want to prepare for baseball, amateur side, minor leagues, major leagues, Baseball America has you covered. It's BaseballAmerica.com slash store or 800-845-2726 to order those products. And as we just said, the college preview issue is close to final production. We've uh, we actually rolled out. We, we, we spent a little cash on our... Uh, on our cover this year, and uh, I'm very excited about it. If you haven't noticed on Twitter, I'm extremely excited about it. And I just uh, I thought, guys, that this year was a, a good year to to invest a little bit in our college preview cover because college baseball is at the heart of what Baseball America has been for 35 years now. It's our 35th year at Baseball America. Uh, I'm only 43, so and I've been a PA a long time. So the magazine's not as old as me, but I think it's older than both you jokers. And uh, and the first magazine cover, when it was All-America Baseball News in Alan Simpson's garage in White Rock, British Columbia, was a college baseball player, Kevin McReynolds, in an Arkansas hat. And uh, conveniently, J.J. Cooper just discovered last week that, uh, discovered for us anyway, that the first issue when the name changed from All-America Baseball News to Baseball America also had Kevin McReynolds as part of the cover, and that was actually the first issue where Baseball America did a top ten prospects list. So kind of convenient how that worked out, that Baseball America was born with a top ten prospects list. But the magazine that became Baseball America, All-America Baseball News, was born with college baseball. And from Alan Simpson to John Shear and Randy Rohrer and John Royster and Jim Callis and myself and Will Kimme and Aaron Fitt, all those years, no matter who was on the college baseball beat, uh, college baseball has always been important to Baseball America. So now with uh, Jim Schoeder and Mike Lanana kind of sharing this beat for us in 2015, and obviously I'm still here, uh, started from the bottom, but we're, I'm here, and uh, we will uh, continue to cover college baseball the way that Baseball America always has done it, uh, passionately uh, from a scouting and player development point of view, and in the 21st century that has meant uh Google Hangouts, it's meant going to games all over the country, it's meant podcasts, it's meant chats, so we'll keep on doing that no matter who the personnel are, so I would welcome you to another year of coverage, I would welcome Jim to another year of coverage, Jim's been with us since 2007, been mm-hmm. in the last couple of series, and Mike, we welcome you to the podcast nook for the first time, uh, kind of exciting I think Mike, and uh, you know, I think both of you guys will, will keep be keeping beards in our uh from time to time, be keeping beards at our Google Hangouts. I'm never going to get there because I can't grow one. But our, now, Jim, or I'm not there. Are you sporting a beard today, Jim? Um, about five days worth, I would say. Okay, that seems like that evolves from, from time to time for Jim and Mike. You're not the, I'm, I'm, a little inconsistent, I would say. Mike, I've seen you with or without. You're with the beard today. I'm definitely with. It's nice and full. Okay, because I, I mean, your Twitter picture, I can't recall if it's with or without. I seem to recall it was without. It's it's actually with. Okay. It's actually with. So, you know, I want to make sure I'm... Oh, it I'm, is with. Yeah. I want to make sure I'm living up to that beard standard, you know. I want to I keep it intact. 
So That's a very 21st century. See, I just associate beards with the 19th century. I just can't get on board with the <laughs> with the 21st century beard trend. Uh, a and B, I just I, I'm not capable of growing one. So, <laughs> and C, my wife wouldn't take it. But um, uh, but so so you guys are keeping that going, and we're entrusting you to keep our college coverage going. And you guys are already off to a good start. We've got a top 25 uh, ranking that's uh, going live at Baseball America today. We're going to talk a little bit about that. And just about the college season in general, we've got some of your questions uh, on Twitter that you, we've taken. I'm at John Manuel BA for future reference. He's at Jim Shoner BA. And Mike is at Mlanana, M-L-A-N-A-N-N-A. So, guys, we, we had let's, let's just start off right with the, with the rankings. And uh, a couple things jumped out to me, Jimmer, as we did the rankings. First of all, um, there wasn't a clear-cut number one, not for me. And number two, that a couple of teams that are not usual top oh, – we have two teams in the top five that are ranked higher than they've ever been ranked before in Houston and Texas Tech. Those, those are the things that jumped out for me. I wasn't sure if that's what jumped out for you or if, if it was something different. What did jump out in the top ten for you? Well, definitely Houston is a, is a team that jumps out. I mean, they look – they look awfully complete, and Texas Tech's a team I like a lot. Um, as you mentioned, they—I mean, I know they may not have the the star power of some of these other teams, and they certainly don't have the the cachet of the others. But um, obviously, you've got a team that just went to Omaha. They've got a lot of guys back. They've got all their pitchers back. They got pretty much all their key hitters back, but one, I believe. And that—I mean, so they—they they look awfully good too. And I wouldn't be surprised to see them back, uh, you know, in the thick of the Big Twelve race, and and really just the. I would say one of the, I mean, I think we have, what, four Big 12 teams in the top 10, top 11, something like that. So, um, I mean, that conference, the top of that conference looks really strong. I mean, there's always the SEC is always good. But um, I'll say the, the just looking at the, those four Big 12 teams with Texas Tech, Texas, TCU, and uh, Oklahoma State, that that's going to be a fun race to track. Yeah, we have four, <clears throat> excuse me, four Big 12 teams and then also four teams from the state of Texas you sub in Houston and take out uh, OK State, uh, Mike. <clears throat> excuse me. Uh, it's been a, it's been a long weekend, but I haven't lost my voice all weekend until now, conveniently. Um, <laughs> but Mike, we we do have uh, familiar faces at the top. We have Vanderbilt at number one. They finished there last year, um, and then we have LSU number two. We have these two southeastern conference teams right at the top, um, and those two teams, you know, they kind of have good, you know, pretty significant contrast for me, Mike. You have a, a team that's definitely going to be noted for its pitching in Vanderbilt and a team that I think is going to be noted for its uh, bats at LSU. But they both also have some uh, some similarities in that, to me, both those teams are really going to be reliant on, on freshmen in pretty key roles. Right. Right. Well, especially Louisiana State, they're very high on their freshman pitchers. Um, they have a – they call them a Fab Four – Right now, uh, Alex Lang, Jake Godfrey, uh, Jake Latz, and, and Doug Norman, four guys that they're going to be leaning on a lot this year. And uh, Paul Manieri, uh, like in this season to 2002 with Notre Dame when he was their head coach, um, they had a very deep offense then and had very young pitchers. It's a very similar situation, and they went to, they went to Omaha, so they're hoping that uh, especially Lang and Godfrey Lang could be potentially a Friday night guy. Uh, he has electric stuff. Godfrey's more of a sinker baller, but both guys obviously have potential. Both guys are prospects. And if they're able to live up to their potential, you combine that with a pretty scary offense. Um, lots of veteran guys. 
uh, hoping for a bounce back year from Alex Bregman. Obviously, although he turned it on near the end of the year, if they can hit, which they should be able to, and if they can get some pitching, I mean, LSU's a scary club. I mean, for for some of you uh, younger whippersnappers, that 2002 Notre Dame team, you know that that uh, that's where I come in. This uh, I do think it needs some explanation. It was 13 years ago, but Notre Dame came into that season ranked number five. Uh, that and, and that was before Twitter. But I can tell you, I don't even think we had comments at BaseballAmerica.com back then. But I can tell you, the emails about that were ridiculous in their venom. If you think, uh, you know, just think about how much people hate Notre Dame football, you know, and then you mix in the fact that if you're not a Notre Dame fan, it seems like you hate them. And the fact that college baseball is a southeastern dominated sport, you know, the SEC fans and ACC fans pretty much hated on the Irish from day one that year and mocked our rankings for them being ranked there. And the year before, in 2001, Notre Dame had basically had a lot of the same club but uh, they lost in a regional at home that was actually a stout regional. Had UC Santa Barbara, which was a loaded club that year, uh, and then it had Florida International, and that regional stretched into a Monday, and Florida International brought back its ace on Monday, a left-hander named Willie Colazzo, pitched in the Mets farm system for a long time, pitched for Puerto Rico in the World Baseball Classic. Uh, I followed Willie Colazzo's career a long time. He had a long career, even though he came back on two days rest, that regional. And he came back on two days rest, and he beat... Notre Dame, which did not use Aaron Heilman, future longtime big leaguer, on two days rest. And that was a real bummer for college baseball that year because if Notre Dame had won that game, they would have played a super regional against against USC. And ESPN wanted that to happen in the worst way. And I can tell you that because I was there on the phone with the ESPN guys when that uh, regional was happening because I was trying to help them prepare for super regional broadcasts that they were going to do. And they were really bummed about um, no, not getting Notre Dame USC. And all college baseball was outside of the Notre Dame haters. But the people in the game who wanted the sport to grow were really big on trying to get uh, a northern team to Omaha. So the next year, uh, Notre Dame with a very freshman-laden pitching staff, guys like Chris Neisel and future big leaguer John Axford, who wound up transferring out of Notre Dame as a fifth-year senior, wound up uh, signing out of Canisius. Uh, you know, Notre Dame did get to Omaha beating Florida State on the road in a Super Regional with an all-freshman pitching staff. And that was a uh, Florida State team that had like a 25-26 game win streak at the time. Stephen Drew was having one of the best freshman seasons ever. And Stephen Drew was basically our national player of the year runner-up in 2002, only to senior shortstop Khalil Green. So that was a Florida State team that everyone thought was going to go to Omaha. And we were the only ones who really thought that Notre Dame was the favorite in that Super Regional because they'd been ranked fifth in the preseason, and, Notre Dame, and Florida State had been ranked sixth. So that was one that actually worked on paper, uh, That where Florida State won. So that one kind of has a little special place in my heart. So uh, if Palmineri likens this team to his uh, Notre Dame team in 2002, I believe him because I, I lived uh, went through that, and I know that it took that Notre Dame team a little while to find its sea legs. But once it did, it was a very potent team. I think most people still remember it uh, for Steve Stanley, the five foot seven center fielder who was a big part of the Moneyball book uh, that Michael Lewis did. He was drafted that year by the by the Oakland Athletics. But for me, I always remember Steve Stanley hitting a triple off Justin Crowder of Rice in Omaha uh, that keyed a game winning rally for Notre Dame. And uh, yeah, if I didn't, if I weren't sick, I would uh, in, uh, entertain our former staffer Clint Longenecker and do my 
Bino Cook impersonation, but I, I can't do it right now. So I just I think it would be uh, I would uh, speak ill of the dead if I did a really bad Bino Cook impersonation. So <laughs> so I digress, but uh, but I, I'm with you, Mike, as far as the Vandy LSU competition, and we went pitching there. And in general, I like to lean toward the teams that can hit a little bit better. But college baseball is just so pitcher centric right now that I, I think I have to. I, you know, at the top of the rankings, I had to go with a team with the better pitching. And when you have Fulmer and uh, Walker Bueller and, and Ferguson and all the pitching that's back at at Vanderbilt, I thought you had to go Vanderbilt uh, number one. But guys, uh, is this year? You guys have talked to a lot of coaches the last couple of weeks. Mm-hmm. Do you guys sense that this year is going to be as pitching centric, or do you think that the the raised seams on the ball or the flat seams on the ball? I'm sorry, the flat seams of the ball are going to help the the ball carry more and lead to more offense. I don't know which one of you guys wants to take that first, but let's get that out of the, let's get that out of the way. Do you think they're going to see more offense this year? Yeah, I'll start. I think a couple coaches have told me they think it's going to be a huge difference. Um, and a couple of it's kind of been a whole range. Some a couple have said there's going to be a huge difference. A couple have said it's just kind of they haven't really noticed that much. Um, and John Savage from UCLA, when I talked to him, he was one of the guys that thought it's going to be a big difference. Um, and um, I, and Tim Corbin from Vandy, when I talked to him, he he kind of compared it. He was one of the guys that kind of felt it would be more um, business as usual because when he he mentioned he brought up how like when they changed the bats a few years ago, um, that was such a day in day out conversation with all the players and everyone was talking about it all the time. And he felt like this for this this one this time around it was just kind of just not being you know brought up as much. Guys were just kind of going about their business so. But it is. But he did say. I mean, it is noticeable that guy that ball carries a bit further, and um, so there probably will be more offense. But I think it's it's been kind of a. No one's been opposed to it. I will say that. No one. There's been no criticism. No one's been negative about it. It's just been a. I think some guys kind of think it's going to be a bigger uh, bigger effect than others. Yeah, I I heard similar answers to Jim. It was kind of a mixed reaction. Some guys were really high on it and thought it was going to make a huge difference. Um, Jim Morris made a comment to me that uh, they hit more home runs in one day of batting practice than they did the entire season. Uh, so I don't know if that's an exaggeration or not, but yeah, that, that says something. Um, a lot of coaches said they, they, they saw it add maybe 10 to 20 feet. Um, and so, you know, I wouldn't be just surprised to see the offense tick up a little bit. It may not be a drastic increase. Yeah, and, and something something interesting that uh, Dan McDonald brought up to me, um, Louisville coach, um, saying a, a lot of guys have kind of adjusted their recruiting strategy and their lineups and their offensive approach to more of a, a National League kind of style, bunting, speedy kind of offensive style after the bats changed. And so it might take a little time to to adjust. The, the guys that have the power bats, you know, could see a, a bigger boost this year. That actually kind of reminds me of um, another point that Savage made was that with these new bats, or with the new balls, rather, um, when it comes off, it's going to be coming off bats a lot harder, he thought, so it's going to be put a much more of a premium on having um, this athleticism on defense and just mobility and all all that kind of thing. So that was that was one of the things he thought was going to, not just the fact that the ball's going to carry further, but it put more of a premium on having athletic guys in the field. That's going to be another part of the uh, the difference going forward. And that's, you know, that's really been the trend, Jimmer. Uh, just looking at this... Uh, the NCA's trends report, which anybody can view online, just Google NCA baseball trends, you'll find it, um, or Bing it, I suppose. Um, you know, my first year in Omaha was 1998, 
and that was the last year of the minus five bats. And you look at the earned run average for all of Division One that year was 6.12. I mean, that's just hard to fathom. Last year was 4.22. I mean, that's so we've lost two runs per game uh, off of a pitcher's ERA. That 4.22, the last time it was that low was 1976, uh, which you know kind of gives you a hint on where we're going with our cover, by the way, um, of the <laughs> magazine. But so the batting average is only down 36 points. So the difference really is, I mean, hitters clearly aren't hitting for as high an average, um, but I don't think 36 points of batting average tells you why you've gone from 7.12 runs a game to 5.08 runs a game. It's the power. The power's just out. So 1998, my first year, record home runs, 1.06 home runs hit. Per team, per game, that's a record. That's the highest ever. Last year was .39. So <laughs> 0.39 home runs per game per team. That's a record in the other direction. So, uh, you know, there's if you compare it to Major League Baseball, you know, Major League Baseball collectively hitting about 250 these days. Uh, that, you know, this is more scoring than in Major League Baseball. I mean, more hitting for average, a lot more contact. You know, a lot fewer strikeouts per nine innings. Uh, so there's more contact now. Strikeout rate is lower in college baseball. And the fielding percentage is a record, 966. So they're already the trend that Coach Savage talked to you about, premium on athleticism. There's already a premium on defense. College coaches used to select, okay, I'm going to take the slugger who might hit one out over the athlete because I'm looking for that power because it's a power game. With less power in the game, they've actually tried to you know, put a focus on a premium on athletes and players who play defense, think in recent vintage, a guy like Cody Dent, who was a four-year starter basically at, at Florida, even though he couldn't hit a lick because he could catch it. And those kind of guys got playing time in college baseball. I, so I really wonder this year if there's more offense, if you're not going to see college coaches wind up self-selecting on their own rosters, the guys who hit a little bit more for uh, over the guys who can defend. And, you know, an extreme example is that a team like Oregon – or a guy like Sean Chase, who led the Pac-12 in home runs last year, um, is going to play over a guy like a Tim Susanara, who's a talented freshman, but is really more of a catch-and-throw guy. I know that's an extreme example, but it's just one that pops to mind. I wonder if we're going to see more examples like that, where the bat guy gets picked over the, the glove-first guy, whereas in the last four years of college baseball, I think the glove-first guy has been the guy who's played more. So uh, that's, that's kind of how I think things are going to go. I mentioned Oregon. You talked about John Savage, uh, Jimmer. Uh, mm-hmm. That's that kind of both those teams are, are eleven to twenty, and we do have UCLA as the top ranked Pac-12 team. Mm-hmm. I would say if you look over the the rankings, we have three Pac-12 teams there in the eleven to twenty. It feels like it's a, a deep year in on the West, but there's not a team that stands out out West to me as a potentially great team. Is that maybe how you read it? Yeah, I agree. I think um, there's no. There's no team like we had with Oregon State last year where it was just a clear, you know, they they were the best in, in that the region there. And, and this year, I mean, you've got, I think the Pac-12 could be, I mean, obviously you got Arizona State looks pretty solid, especially on the mound. Um, we talked about Oregon, UCLA, they'll be able to pitch as always. Um, we'll see how, they're, see how some of their freshmen come along. And the kind of thing with, with Savage was, you know, they, they kind of had, Everything that could go wrong did last year, just with all the injuries they had and everything. But um, so they they should be back in the thick of it this year. But um, and besides from that, we'll you know we'll see. I mean the rest of that league. I mean we'll see what you know USC 
is a chance to get to a, they could be a regional team. Um, beyond that, we'll see. Uh, I mean, Oregon State's still going to be, obviously, Oregon State's going to take a step back, I think, just with all the guys they lost. But, um, you know, so we'll see. It's not as, I would say it's probably not as deep as we've seen in, um, in that, that league, that is. And then, kind of look at the Big West. I mean, you know, we've got Fullerton in there, but, you know, we'll see with, with Cal Poly. I mean, you know, we'll see what happens with, you know, they got the Mark Mathias injury they're dealing with that kind of took them out of the running for our rankings. And then, um, obviously, we'll, the rest of that league, I mean, Irvine lost some guys. We'll see what, you know, UCSB might uh, figure in there. But um, it's not as, there's no there's no clear-cut, you know, elite team out there, it looks like, this year. Yeah, I think uh, you mentioned that about, just about Mark Mathias at Cal Poly, talking to Coach Lee, Larry Lee out there. He just said, you know, when we're healthy, we're a good offensive team, but we're not healthy. So, <laughs> you know, by definition, he said, well, we're not a good offensive team. I mean, Matthias really is a, a key player for them. So that's, I, I think that's a good club. I think Santa Barbara's a good club. I think Fullerton's going to be pretty interesting to watch this year. You know, we'll see just how uh, how much of a step forward some of their freshmen took last take from last year to this year. I think the improved baseball is a big deal to them, and you know, Mike, it's kind of one of these things where you, I don't know if you see it as much in pro ball, but you know, I think we thought that the lack of offense in the game the last four years and the way that it was such a uh, – that everybody bunted, that that would make the teams that were the, already the small ball teams better. Mm-hmm. And instead, it actually kind of brought everyone into the middle. I just feel like it was – it accentuated – it was one more thing that accentuated parity – in college baseball, I almost feel like this year, if the balls do fly a little bit more and you do get more home runs, that's almost going to accentuate maybe the great teams. So the great teams might stand out even more. Um, I, I just look in this group like a team like a Louisville, which is a team that accentuates speed, mm-hmm. um, but maybe has a little bit more talent with its speed as opposed to some of the West Coast teams that maybe sometimes are more the scrappier clubs. This Louisville team seems like it has more talent. They've been to Omaha two years in a row. It might help them a little bit, maybe separate them from other teams that play that bunt and slash, that speed-oriented game. I don't know if you feel the same way about this Louisville team, which I think is a, a has a chance to be, you know, it might be a team that goes to Omaha three years in a row. Right, and I I like Louisville a lot. And, uh, you know, an interesting tidbit, Dan McDonald actually challenged his team back in 2012, saying, hey, we're going to go to Omaha three years in a row. We're going to be South Carolina. We're going to be UNC. We're going to be Florida. We're going to go to Omaha three times in a row, and you know here they are, two thirds of the way there. And and you're right. I mean, they have a they have a lineup that can that can fly. I mean, from top to bottom. And that's something that that he really emphasized to me. He he says he thinks he has you know seven guys out of the nine guys that can run and run with emphasis that can cause uh, you know havoc on the base pass that can steal bases that can go first to third that sort of thing. So they're, they're missing a little power. Um, he thinks Corey Ray in the middle of the lineup might be that impact guy. He's got to develop a little, a little pop. Again, that could be where the ball you know, comes into play. But from top to bottom, that lineup is, is pretty stacked. And, you know, the rotation with Kyle Funkhauser and Anthony Kitston back, I mean, it's, it's a formidable group. Um, and... Uh, they miss Nick Birdie, but they have his brother Zach, who's you know was touching ninety eight in the fall at the closer spot. So you know, I wouldn't be surprised to see them make another run at Omaha. I, uh, I'd like to know what the deal is with the Birdie family. Like, uh, <laughs> like was the mom a javelin thrower and the dad was like a hammer throw guy or something? I mean, 
Where does this is like in Greek mythology? You know, like these guys would have been sons of Zeus. You know, I just don't understand where this velocity comes from in one family. It's crazy. I can't think of. It'd be like if J.R. Richard had a younger brother who threw 100 miles. I mean, who are these people who have two kids who throw 100 miles an hour? What the hell? <laughs> That's just not natural, man. I don't I don't know how that happens. But uh, anyway, I saw that on their questionnaire, and I heard you talking about it. I was like, what? Another birdie who throws that hard? Crazy. Yeah. It's crazy. Yeah, they think he's the real deal, too. I mean, they're... They're excited about him. So. I, was, I emailed a scouting director about it and uh, when we got our uh, ballots about it, and he was like, yeah, this guy's, you know, if he's as good as the older brother, and it sounds like he's getting there, uh, he's going to yeah. be pretty special. And the older brother was pretty electric after he signed, too. I mean, I think we had him up to 102 miles an hour in the Florida State League. Uh, pretty special. Um, two, two other teams I wanted to ask you guys about in this 11 to 20 range that just jump out to me are Maryland and Kennesaw State. And, uh, you know, Jimmer, you saw Maryland last year at their absolute peak. You were there at the regional I did. when they went to Carolina Stadium and beat the Gamecocks. And I think the thing that stands out so much about Maryland is just uh, swagger. I don't know how to say it. It really um, does. They're, they're, they have their, it's like that baseball team played with the swagger of their school's basketball fans, which isn't always welcomed by opposing basketball teams, but... It wasn't welcomed by South Carolina's baseball team either, but I, it didn't seem like Maryland cared. I mean, they they just waltzed in there and took their ate their cookies, and now they're it looks like we're predicting them to go into a Big Ten. That frankly, the Big Ten looks very competitive at the top and might be a three bid, maybe even a four bid Big Ten conference. But Maryland looks like they primed to go in there and really uh, lead the Big Ten from day one. Yeah, yeah I don't know if Grievous Vasquez has given them uh, pregame pep talks, but. Um... <laughs> Yeah, I had to reference the general there, but... Um, Absolutely. I, know, I mean, yeah, Maryland, I mean, last year they were... Obviously, they weren't really... They weren't full of stars other than Jake Stinnett on the mound. Obviously, and Mike Schwarns kind of getting to that point. But other than those two guys, I mean, they're just a deep... They were scrappy. They had... You know, they just had tough at-bats one guy after another. And and a lot of those guys... Pretty much all those guys are back on their lineup. I mean, other than the, they lose Charlie White, their center fielder. But also, they got a, they got a strong recruiting class and... They're just they're really athletic and they are physical and they can all they can all hit and they they don't like in that regional they they just they don't beat themselves was the other thing is they don't make they just don't let up they don't make many mistakes and yeah I mean they can they, so they, the questions they do have are on the mound I mean we'll see what well, they lose Stanett obviously but uh, you know, Schwarns going to be a good Friday night guy and they've got. You know, they got some veterans they can put behind them. Guys that haven't necessarily started a lot of games, but they'll throw strikes. And got guys like Bobby Ruse and uh, uh, Taylor Styles is a guy like they like. And then there's this, uh, this freshman Willie Rios who could certainly get in the mix. There who was a, a, you know, pretty you know, who's a guy out of high school. So I'm a Willie Rios guy for sure. I like Willie. He's a athletic little left hand out of Connecticut who uh, can spin it and got a good arm and, and has some guts. So no, this is a, uh, and they're athletic. You know, that's why I like about this team is. I like their athleticism, and uh, I think you hit. I mean, I think you you nail as far as this. their their confidence level. You, you have to believe you can do it before you can do it, mm-hmm. and, and they've already done it. And my Kennesaw State's the other team that kind of fits in that same uh, realm. We have the the Owls ranked for the first time in the preseason, and this is a team that lost the first round pick behind the plate. But other than losing Max Pentecost, frankly, Mike, they almost look in some ways that they might be better than they were last year. 
Well, they're returning a lot of experience. I mean, it, it's hard to find a lineup with more uh, junior and seniors in their lineup that, than theirs, and they're bringing back their entire weekend rotation, and you can't discount, like Maryland, you can't discount their, their swagger and the mental side as well. I mean, they're a team that last year they got on a, a real run in the middle of the season, a 16-game winning streak, um, won the most games they've ever won in Division One history, won the Atlantic Sun Conference Tournament for the first time, went to their first regional, and and their first regional went to their first super regional, you know, advanced. So they're a team um, that obviously is feeling confident. They went to their first ever ring ceremony just the other day. Uh, <laughs> Coach Coach Mike Sansing, he, he compares it to the to the story of the four-minute mile, where you, you have the first guy who, who's able to run a mile in under four minutes, and then suddenly you have guys doing it all the time. Uh, so he thinks that that mental barrier it has been broken with this team. He thinks there's... There's a confidence. There's an expectation to win. There's an expectation to get back there. And and yes, they lose Max Pentecost, but they still have what looks like an, an imposing lineup. Um, they bring back Alex Lacory, who's their their best returning hitter, um, and he's a guy who Sansing thinks is going to hit for for a little more power this year. He's shown pop in the past, but it hasn't translated into into home runs. And their starting rotation, three guys who. They're, they're not necessarily overpowering guys, but they're going to keep you in ball games. They, they all three pitched in the summers. Uh, the Friday night guy, Jordan Hill-Eyer, was a Cape Cod League all-star. Gabe Freeze was our number one prospect in the Sun Belt League. You know, he's up to 90-93, a power-breaking ball, throw it in any count. I mean, they, they have some talent on this team, and, you know, I wouldn't be surprised. Uh, though I think they'll at least, they're at least a regional team, I would I would expect. Yeah, no, they, they look pretty solid uh, to me up and down. They're really... Didn't seem to be a hole on that on that ball club. Uh, well, wrapping up the Baseball America College Podcast, first college podcast of the year, by taking your questions on Twitter and uh, a couple of uh, longtime uh, BA podcast listeners asked. Uh, first, Japers asked if uh, comparing the top college arms this year to last year's, which one has the edge in terms of ceiling? And you know, guys. It seems like you know, J.J. Cooper is doing our college All-America team. We've gotten those uh, ballots back from the scouting directors. Actually, a little bit heftier um, volume of responses this year than we've gotten in past years. And, guys, you look at the top of our list, and, it, you know, top of our draft list is pretty heavily populated with pitchers. Um, but I'm not sure ceiling-wise. I don't see a Carlos Rodon or a Jeff Hoffman Mm-hmm. On this list, Jim, I, I don't know if you I think so. How, how do you see it? Yeah, I was kind of thinking the same way. I mean, I don't know that there's a Rodon in this in this group. I mean, it got, I mean, Matchwell is obviously is a special arm, and Funkhauser we like a lot. But uh, yeah, I mean, just looking, I don't know that there's really the. Just doesn't feel like there's the star power when you had Rodon and you had a guy like Nola and guys like that. Just doesn't feel the. Uh, Stop not feeling quite the same, like I said, the same star power. You go, Machuela has, you know, two good seasons, but they're both 60-inning seasons. He hasn't pitched a summer. He just doesn't have a track record. Like, even a guy like Hoffman, who entered last year uh, after being the Cape's number one prospect, or Aaron Nola, who was a dude in high school and was a dude his first two years at LSU, um, or even a Brandon Finnegan. You know, these guys mm-hmm. on this list – I'm not knocking these guys, but I look at them and I think Matuella, ow, my back. You know, now he just threw <laughs> this weekend. Uh, our newest intern and former Rays associate scout, uh, Hudson Belinsky, broke down a couple of innings stint of Michael Matuella at Duke's uh, first workout over the weekend. You can check that out at baseballamerica.com. But 
the rest of these guys have some warts, whether it's Riley Farrell being a, a, a relief guy, Kyle Cody's a big guy who's had some success but hasn't done it over a full season. Carson Fulmer has some effort in the delivery. Jake LeMoyne, you kind of wonder about the secondary stuff. Um, I, I think the guy who has the upside here for me, besides Matuella, is Funkhauser. And, Mike, I mean, just did, did Dan uh, McDonald give you any comps, any comparison points for Kyle Funkhauser and of what he thinks his ceiling is like? Uh, he, I mean, he's obviously very high on Funkhauser. He thinks he's going to have another great year. He he looks at his rotation uh, with Funkhauser and Kinston almost like Andrew Miller and Daniel Bard at UNC. Um those years. I mean, he's obviously a uh, Funkhauser. He likes his, his drive. He likes his competitiveness. You know, obviously he's a guy who's with power stuff, 92 to 96. He, he didn't give me a major league comp, but um, I mean, he, he's, he should be one of the better pitchers in the country again this year, I would imagine. Yeah. I, I, I like Funkhauser. I liked him last summer. Um, just, I just see that walk rate for his career. Um, and I, I, you know, I think you always have to give Kidston, who's not seen nearly as uh, he's not seen in the same light, I think, by most scouts in terms of prospectness. But this is another one of these defiance Ohio guys. And uh, Jim Callis always liked to talk about the defiance curveball. Uh, kids out of that high school have had uh, pretty good curveballs over the years, whether it was Jonathan Neese, I believe Chad Billingsley. I know Dace Kine was a guy they had there at Louisville who was another defiance guy who could really spin a breaking ball. And Anthony Kidston's in that uh, in that same mix. Uh, Norberto Paulino, another long time, uh, definitely not a first time, long time. He's a long time, many time uh, podcast listener and asker. Who are our early favorites for college player of the year? It's kind of a weird year, guys, in that a lot of the top prospects are not guys who've really done it on the field necessarily from start to finish. And of course, the top of our college list is a guy who's not in college yet, uh, Brady Aiken. We keep expecting him to go to a junior college list. Uh, junior college this spring, and he hasn't done it yet. And I'm expecting some news on Brady Aiken soon. Uh, some of the, my hashtag sources have indicated <laughs> there's something going on there soon with Brady Aiken. But uh, I'm not sure who you guys have as a college player of the year. I'm going to throw out uh, if we have Vanderbilt number one, and I do believe in the Commodores. Uh, my college player of the year pick is Dansby Swanson. Uh, you know, I, I talked to Thomas Eshelman and Justin Garza a lot this week for this Cal State Fullerton feature I worked on, and they both just talked about the confidence of those Vanderbilt players after winning the national championship last year. But you can really see it on the field with Dansby Swanson. And I feel like you know that SEC shortstop uh, competition this year between the likes of Alex Bregman, Swanson, Mikey White, Richie Martin, I think that's going to uh, – A.J. Simcox, I think that's going to bring out the best in Dansby Swanson and – I see him making the transition to shortstop, being an offensive ball player, uh, being a power speed threat with the new balls and with his confidence of being the leader of that Vanderbilt team. I, I see Swanson being that. He's my pick. Uh, I don't know who, who, who wants to go first from the, the two of you guys. but Swanson's the guy I, I thought about. Um, I think either really any of those picks. Fulmer or Bueller certainly would be candidates. I'd kind of – Fulmer was a guy that I was looking at. Um, I, I don't know if I'm gonna. It might be stealing Mike's pick. I was thinking very, very hard about um, Alex Bregman. If you can't get him having a bounce back year this year, but um, if I was gonna go outside the SEC, I mean, Funkhauser is a guy that certainly could. Um, Garza and Eshelman. Um, I think maybe I'd actually go a little bit off the board for our. Uh, as far as not 
not as high as some of these guys in the draft, but uh, I'll go with I'll, I'll maybe my pick uh, DJ Stewart from Florida State. That's a good pick, Jimmer, because uh, if the balls are carrying more, this guy's been a line drive machine for two years with the short porch and right field, yeah, a little uh, adjustment. Body numbers. Yeah, you could see him put up some. I mean, he won the ACC slash Triple Crown last year uh, for an encore. If this guy puts up double-digit home run totals, uh, it could be a pretty monster season for him if he just learns to loft the ball a little bit. So, uh, Mike, mm-hmm. we've cleared the ground for you. Uh, you. You did an Alex Bregman feature. Is he your pick? Uh, I mean, I, I expect him to have a bounce-back year um, just from talking to him from talking to, to, to coaches. They all see good things out of him this fall and leading up to the season. And so I, I think he'll be closer to the player he was his freshman year, and I wouldn't be surprised if, if he's player of the year. I think kind of another guy that I, that I like a lot, he was our freshman of the year last year, I think Zach Collins can maybe threaten for it. I mean, with the new ball, he had 11 home runs last year, and uh, they were flying this fall for Miami and in that ballpark. I mean, I could see him putting up some really gaudy power numbers this year. Yeah, I think, uh, I think Zach Collins is actually an, uh, an inspired pick. If he, if, he, if he were your pick, that's an inspired pick because that guy, uh, he hit a lot of home runs last year with a little hitch in his swing. He mm-hmm. had this swing where, like, uh, at least at the start of the summer, his first move was the bat went down not back <laughs> or into any kind of load. His load started with the bat going straight down. So if he can eliminate a little bit of that pre-swing movement, um, he's got extra fast hands, all kinds of strength. Um, I think we're all going to be wowed if we see a college player uh, put up big power numbers like we were wowed last year by A.J. Reed as we were dazzled two years ago by Chris Bryant. Um, I, I think we're all waiting to be impressed. Um, so Zach Collins could be one of those guys. Um, and then finally, M Klotz eight tweets at me who are top small conference clubs, smaller than mid majors examples, the Northeast conference, the America East, uh, at Ketera, at Ketera. I'll just give them a couple, um, uh, of previews. We will preview every conference at baseball America. We're going to have all the stuff we've had in the past. Uh, you know, this is who we are, as we said at the out at the, uh, outset of the podcast, but, I mean, we're looking for Stony Brook as our favorite in the America East, um, you know, with good reason. Uh, you, you're looking at uh, – they still have some holdovers from the 2012 team uh, that went to the Coddle Series, like Cole Perigene, the shortstop there, who was the starting shortstop for the 2012 team. Uh, kind of a dark horse uh, in that league to watch for, uh, you know, for me is, is Hartford. Yeah, we'll see about that ball club. But I, I think uh, Stony Brook, Binghamton, usually the best teams in the America East. Uh you know, from year to year. Uh, the MAAC, you know, you can't go wrong with the Canadians, and that's Canisius. Canisius generally, uh, you know, once they've gone Canadian, they never go back, and they've Team got a C. lot of con- – What's that? Team C. Yeah, Team C. Uh, Hashtag uh, Team C. They've got a lot of uh, – not just Team C for Canada, Team C for Canisius. Uh, they've definitely got uh, – you know, they're pretty lousy with Canadians year after year, and it's been a winning formula for Mike McCree up there in that, in that program. And then uh, the uh, the Northeast Conference, you know, Bryant is uh, the favorite there again with good reason. But, I mean, obviously, uh, you know, they lost some talent. They lost Kevin McAvoy last year. Uh, but that team's uh, very solid again. Kyle Wilcox has a bigger arm, really, than, than McAvoy. He was like a fifth-round pick of the Red Sox. And Wilcox has been up to 97 miles an hour. And that league has some prospects between uh, Wilcox and Nolan Long, the big 6'10 right-hander that you previewed uh, in the offseason, Mike, over at Wagner. Um you know, who's what a – I don't know if he's 
He's kind of a mix between uh, Andrew Brackman and Pat Connaughton, or am I selling him too high as a basketball player? <laughs> uh, I'm not sure if he's still starting with the basketball team. I, I, I caught a little bit of a Wagner game the other night, and I uh, saw him over there on the bench. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. You were watching Wagner basketball. You know, it was on, so I was I was watching it. But, uh, yeah, no, I mean, I think he'll have a, a good year on the mound, and I know they're starting his throwing program a little earlier this year, and they expect to start him right out of the gate this year instead of starting him in the bullpen. So, um, you know, I, I expect big things out of him. Yeah, six foot ten, and uh, and throws hard, and uh, but sounds like he has some of some of the body control that Connaughton has, with some of the height of uh, of an Andrew Brackman. So uh, I don't know. I don't know if he com- comes off a screen and shoots a three like Pat Connaughton. That guy's a <laughs> that guy's a, a clutch player, much to Jimmer's chagrin. He had a big three last night, Jimmer. I'm sorry. Yeah, <laughs> it's a, it's another day. He has uh, he's had big threes in his career against uh, my favorite college basketball play- team, and now he's had big threes in his career against your college ba- favorite college basketball team. So, uh, no good questions as usual from our listeners. We have great listeners, and uh, look forward to entertaining you guys more during the year. I need to wrap up because I got a meeting, guys. But uh, um, two two other teams step uh, stand out for me: uh, Central Florida and Liberty. That are non-power conference teams that we ranked in our preseason top twenty-five. I know Central Florida doesn't like being called that. Sorry, <laughs> UCF. I'll use your branding. Um, <laughs> that's probably my least favorite thing in college sports. Um, but UCF and Liberty. Um, these are again just two clubs that I think just stood out to all three of us guys as just again teams where there just weren't any obvious holes and clearly teams that are well coached. Terry Rooney does a nice job at UCF. He's been building there. He's had some success. And Liberty uh, with Jim Toman, they're getting their I believe it's their first ever preseason top twenty-five ranking. But uh, I guess what stands out to me at Liberty is there's some real thump there uh, to me, guys. Alex Close just stands out, and Ashton Parrott. Mm-hmm. There's a couple of offensive guys who can win with power. Uh, obviously, with Parrott, it's more power on the mound. Right. Ashton, Ashton Parrott, one of the top two-way guys in the country. And this team has speed, too. I mean, that, that Liberty Club, just it seems like they stand out to me with some star power. And UCF is a team that, again, just doesn't really seem like it has a, a, a glaring hole and, and always seems like they really pitch. Mm-hmm. So the, the kind of the the changing of the guard in that uh, conference, the big the big South, I believe that is just kind of interesting. With you have Liberty had Coastal on top there for so many years, and now your Liberty has kind of usurped them as the as the team to beat in that league. So that's just kind of been really interesting to just watch that program build, and also they get to a regional uh, the first two years ago, I believe it was, they get kind of broke through that barrier, and then last year they just kind of lapped the field in that conference. And now it's like we were saying, they got a lot of guys back, they got experience of, of doing what they've done the last couple of years. And, and yeah, Parrott's a, a guy, he's, he's going to be a fun guy to watch. Yeah, and John, I think he hit the nail on the head as far as, you know, Alex Close, Nash, and Parrott coming back. I mean, I talked to Jim Toman the other day, and he's absolutely elated that those guys are coming back. They both were drafted. And and Parrott, he's, I mean, he's looking like their Friday night starter this year. He's moving from a closing role to the starting rotation. So they're, they're counting on him. Um, they think he's a horse. They think he can handle the workload. He's been 90-94 in uh, starts, and, uh, you know, Alex Close, too. You know, he's going he's gonna to pitch some this year. They had him up to 91, um, so he's going to get some, some, some time on the mound. And, you know, beyond them, they have, they have some power. Uh, they have a DH by the name of Andrew Yasek, who Toman said is the most power he's ever seen of any player he's ever coached. 
Um, and he coached at South Carolina for 11 years. He, he says he has light tower power. Um, and uh, they have a third baseman, Dylan Allen, who who packed on 15 and 20 pounds. So they're, they're a big physical team. They're a veteran team. And having both close and parrot back makes them that much better. And you talk about those South Carolina teams. You know, that guy coached guys like James Darnell and Justin Smoke on their 2008 team. Uh, he recruited those guys. I mean, Justin Smoke hit a ton of college home runs. He had a few big league ones, too. He coached a guy in Yaron Peters back in, I think it was 2003, hit 29 home runs for the Gamecocks. So Jim Toman saying this guy's got more power than some of those Gamecock players, that's saying something. And UCF, just uh, what jumped out to me was just all their seniors. That's what, a six seniors in the, in the starting seven, lineup? Eight, six or seven, yeah. But overall, overall, they have 16 four-year players on their team, 13 yeah. seniors and three redshirt juniors. And, and that's a program that throughout the years, uh, but especially with Coach Rooney, they've done a nice job of integrating some junior college transfers in there. And, and so to be that senior-laden is impressive to me. And yet the guys who might excite me the most in that team are their freshman arms, Kyle Marsh and Cray Finfrock. And I just wanted to say Cray Finfrock. Because <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm a ridiculous human being. I just think his name is hilarious. And I think I just cramped up saying his name and laughing. So that probably means I need to get this podcast over with. But uh, we are going to podcast every Monday. I'm not sure how we're going to do the uh, – the Google Hangouts yet, but we did the Hangouts on Fridays last year, kind of to lead into our uh, weekend of college baseball coverage. I like that. I like doing that, and you know, I like seeing my face on the screen. So we'll do that again. It just feeds my ego. You know, that's the only real reason we do it, guys. So um, I-, I appreciate you guys putting up with it, and uh, look forward to covering college baseball with you guys this uh, this year. I love college baseball. Uh, and I look forward to sharing that with our readers and with you guys during the spring and. Uh, Obviously, give those guys a follow at Jim Schoner BA, at M. Lanana. I'm at John Manuel BA. And we'll see you on the next Baseball American College podcast. Until then, so long, everybody. After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice cold reward. Medella is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy. The tough labor. You are a fighter, and Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Port, Chicago, Illinois. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the Fileo Fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun? Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.